Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Let's get right into it. We've got a lot to get through this morning. So this is Genesis chapter 27. Um, went back and forth on, you know, do we read this? Do we work through it? And it's just, it's a whole chapter again. And we did this last week. We sat down and we read a whole chapter. And I got home and I felt kind of bad about it. But then I, because it's just a lot of reading. But there really isn't a better use of our time. I mean, me speaking for 30 minutes uh, is really not as good a use of our time as reading God's word for five or six minutes together. And so just to let that, I mean, as we read it, it's not because there's nothing else we could think to do, um, but we want to be a body of people that highly value this word. And so that means if we take long segments of our service and just read the text together, that's, that's, that's accomplishing our purpose at treasuring God's word to us. So this is Genesis chapter 27, if you want to follow along with me. Genesis 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my, my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke, this, spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that my soul, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, 
please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob." But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, before, now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay there with him while until your brother's, a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you. And he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. 
Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women, one of the, women of the land, what good will my life be to me? The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So some stories are just messy. We're not going to rehash. I think that story tells so well, is recorded so vividly. We don't need to hash out the details all that much. We get the deception that has occurred here, right? Of Isaac is old, and now I'm going to rehash it. Isaac is old and blind and can't see, but he wants to bless Esau. Rebecca overhears it. Isaac, or Jacob instead prepares the food, brings it in, is very deceitful, gets the blessing from his father, Isaac, and then Esau comes in, and what in the world has happened? He's lost his blessing because of the deceit of Jacob. Obviously very angry. J uh, Jacob then is sent away, which will be very important for the, our stories in the next coming weeks. Jacob is sent away to find a, a bride for himself away from uh, where Isaac and Rebekah are. And so sometimes... Some stories, they are just really messy. You know, often we get really clean characters in stories. Like Voldemort, like he is clearly a bad guy, right? There's no like redeeming character about uh, him. Now we have like the, the Wicked Witch of the West. Now from when I watch the movie, she's clearly a bad character. Now I understand Wicked exists. But in my mind, that's a totally different timeline. And for some of you, you're like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. There's, anyway, I won't go with the Wicked and, and, the, uh, and um, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West. But there are also very good characters. Belle from Beauty and the Beast is pure and perfect and wonderful, right? There's, not, there's nothing but good in Belle. I, I'm, no one's agreeing with any of my <laughs> illustrations this morning, my ideas, okay? Okay. Uh, Palpatine is obviously secret and secretive and wicked and awful, right? Emperor Palpatine the whole way along. William Wallace in Braveheart, all right? And, and at least in the movie Braveheart. I don't go to the historical character, maybe. But William Wallace is motivated by love and intelligence and integrity and country and all that. You know, he's this great, strong, wonderful character, right? Um, but those are some obvious, like, clear characters, Really good or really bad. And those, those things does, do, do exist. But far more often in really good stories, people are really messy. People are really messy. For instance, and I'm gonna, this is so risky with pop culture references, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren, Star Wars. Is Kylo Ren a good guy or a bad guy? I love Kylo Ren, Ben Solo. And so you, if you don't know the Star Wars stuff, I'm sorry, you're really missing out. Uh, they're great <laughs> stories. But, but Kylo, Ben Solo murders his own father. He kills Han Solo. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen him, now I've just <laughs> ruined it for you. He's a terrible character. He kills his own father. That's horrible, right? That's, that's Ben Solo for you. That's Kylo Ren, Han Solo's son. He murders him. And then you go through the movie, right? And at the end, he awakens to like, oh, the, the, he realizes how, how dark the dark side is. And he ends up fighting, he tries to kill Ray, but then he ends up, 
saving Ray. He actually ends up laying his life down through the power of the force, which whatever, <laughs> and, and, and sacrifices himself, giving Ray his life force that she might live and he would die. And he's this heroic figure, but he's a mess. <laughs> he's a mess. Like great things happen through him and terrible things happen through him. And this is more to reality. This is the way life often is. Is are, are, we, are, are there heroes or are there bad guys? Well, there are heroes and there are bad guys. And in the midst, there's, there's just lots of heroic moments and lots of really bad moments. And it ends up getting all mixed together. Life is very complex. Well, in our narrative for this morning, we realize that that really that hasn't changed for thousands of years. That these individuals in our Bible who are great heroes of the faith, why we talked about last week, Isaac is commended in Hebrews 11, 20-ish, I think. Isaac is commended that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. <laughs> and you read this story and you're like, boy, that, that is an interpretation of what Isaac did there. That by faith, he is this heroic story, but man, heroic figure. But man, what a mess. Characters in stories are complex. When we read uh, uh, fictional uh, depictions in, in movies and books and wherever, they're complex because they're reflecting real life. We read stories of real life, and what we find out, they're fairly complex. They're fairly and, and sincerely complex. So we, last week we talked about Isaac and I was trying to make the point that though he's not a great figure, a faithful figure, God is not calling us to greatness, right? He's calling us to faithfulness. So Isaac's the hero, right? And then we get to this chapter and we find out Isaac isn't the hero at all. He's got all kinds of trouble. In fact, what's so confusing about this chapter is there's not a heroic figure in the story. <laughs> not a one of them comes off like, oh, I want to emulate this person in the story. None of them are, are the hero in the story. Which is where I almost have to chuckle sometimes at those who think the Bible is full of stories of good people that Christians just think they can emulate. Right, and they're, they're, this narrative comes along that, you know, those Christians, they think they're better than everyone else. They've got this book that has all these moral examples and they think they're superior than everyone else. And you have to just kind of chuckle at that idea because the Bible is pretty consistent at showing us how messed up his fallen creatures really are. <laughs> it's really consistent at showing us at how messed up we all really are and how God works through those messed up people, at times in spite of themselves, how God continues to move his purposes forward, even in the midst of all of our fallenness and all of our brokenness. And that's exactly what we see in the text this morning. First point is just simply this, families are a mess. And it's not, that's not a profound thing, that's just profoundly true. Families and life are a mess. They are very messy. Isaac is conniving to get Esau the blessing. He has the older son, Esau, of twins, and he wants him to get the blessing. Likely knows about this prophecy, this word of the, of the Lord to Rebekah, that the younger will serve the older. And he's like, I ain't having that. I like Esau better. We know he's his favorite. And so he secretively gathers Esau in and says, let's, 
let's, let's get this plan going. You give me something really good to eat, and then I'm going to bless you. And normally these, these uh, ceremonies would be a, a large celebration of the family, the passing on of the blessing from the father to the son. But Isaac doesn't want that. He wants to secretly get the blessing to Esau. He's conniving. He's doing this underhanded uh, thing to get the blessing to Esau in a real attempt to usurp God's priority, God's will for this family. So Isaac is a mess. Esau, he's already a mess. This is the guy who we saw despised his birthright for a bowl of stew, right? And he wasn't evidently all that hungry, really, because he just eats it and then he leaves. And he's already despised his family. He's despised his birthright. He's already a, a bit of a mess. But then we have Rebecca who she wants the blessing to go to her younger son, Jacob, as the word of the Lord came to her that it should. But she hears it and she contrives this whole plan. Let's dress you up like Isaac. Let's fix, or like, like uh, Esau. Their names are so close. Have I been screwing that up this whole time? Uh, let's dress you up like Esau. Make you appear hairy. We'll, we'll get food. We're going to dress you up in a Halloween costume. And then I'm going to send you in. You're going to steal the blessing from your father. That's not righteous uh, behavior. <laughs> even, if you, even if she did a disagree with, with Isaac and his purposes, this is not righteous behavior. There's no hero in Rebekah. And then Jacob, he just follows right along with the whole thing. Just no, no, uh, no concern from him. Like His only concern is, what if we got caught? <laughs> which is a familiar concern that we often have. Well, not, not that there's any problem with like deceiving his father or lying. And, and Jacob actually blasphemes here. I mean, really, he, 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 he violates uh, the commandment to not take the Lord or your, uh, your, your God's name in vain because he says to his father when he asks him, right, how did you get it so quick? He says to Isaac, your Lord, the Lord God helped me get this food. That's plain dangerous right there. That is not righteous. That is not heroic. He lies and he invokes God's name that God actually helped me do this. There's no heroes in this story. There's no heroes in this story. This family is all messed up. And maybe you can look down your nose at them if you close your eyes to yourself. But maybe you can relate. Maybe you can feel a spark of compassion Maybe you ought to. This is really a broken world and not just in the big meta realities of like, we know it's broken because there's sickness and disease and we know it's broken because wars break out and, and innocent civilian lives are taken. We know the world is broken at this big meta level. And those are, those are kind of safe things to confess. Boy, it's broken out there. But it's more dangerous when we have to say, you know what, it's broken right here. It's broken where I live. It's broken in my own heart. I'm messed up. And it, that is more dangerous. It's more personal. This is a broken world right down to every relationship. Husbands, you fail your wives. Wives, you fail your husbands. Parents, you fail your children. Children, you fail your parents. And there's brokenness all around and there's all sorts of moments because we are broken, sinful creatures that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. This just multiplies and recreates over and over and over again. Of greatest significance is that every one of those failures is actually disobedience and sin against God. 
not only do we fail one another, that those, those transgressions, that sinfulness is actually against God. So this is a messed up chapter. However, in the midst of a lot of unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to his promises. So this is, this is one of the huge themes we've been repeating over and over again, right in Genesis, seeing all of these messed up characters, that in the midst of a lot of unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to his purposes. Why do we keep returning to this idea? Because it's one of the main ideas, really, of the whole book. God performs his purposes. God's big purpose is to redeem a people to rejoice in his glory because he is that beautiful. And what magnifies his greatness and power over and over again is how he continues despite incredibly, seemingly uh, unfavorable circumstances in this world. Like this is, this is going to mess everything up. God's righteousness cannot be promoted. It cannot be uh, promulgated. It cannot be advanced through this wicked family. God shows his greatness and his glory that in the midst of brokenness and wickedness and lots of deceit and sinfulness, he still is able to work his purposes. That's incredible. I could have 10,000 circumstances favorably lined up for me and still mess it up. Like I can have, I can have, uh, come home from work and have this, this, this great family environment where both my kids are great, my wife is great, all these, which is what usually always, almost always happens. Everyone gets along, everything's wonderful, and walk into all the stars aligning and I can still mess the evening up by myself with everything going right, let alone if I walk in and everything's wrong and I walk into that situation. And God shows his glory and all these things going wrong and yet they don't deter him from working his good purposes. You know, in the middle of this text here, when Isaac figures out that Jacob has stolen his blessing, it says he trembles violently. Why? Why does he tremble violently? And there's lots of thoughts on that. But, you know, it, it seems like there is this one, one commentator, almost they called it Isaac's conversion, which I think is pushing it too far. But something incredible happens here that Isaac realizes I tried everything in my power to thwart God and what he was doing and giving the blessing to my kids. And in my very action of, of, of disobeying God, he did what he wanted to do. God performed his will, even in my very blatant and obvious efforts to, to trip God up from what he wanted to do. But God cannot be deterred. Isaac simply won't share in the joy of, of God working his purpose. So there's, 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 a lot, there's some interesting things going on here in that it isn't just that Isaac sees that God's purpose is going to go forward no matter what. There's a, there's a, a, a violent trembling because Isaac realizes that, that God is going to do his purposes and he's not going to share in all of that joy because he worked against him. And we're going to come back to that here at the end. But this, this repeated failure in varying degrees from the heroes of the Bible, it builds this tension all through Genesis. Hero? No. Hero? No. Good guy? No, still all kinds of problems. This builds a tension that just goes throughout Scripture all the way until we, we keep looking and looking for someone to be the hero. Someone to live righteously, someone to, 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 to live perfectly and actually accomplish and fulfill God's will. And they never appear, that is, until Jesus. All, right? all of these stories, all of this disappointment is pointing, it's, it's highlighting to us 
Everyone's messing up. Everyone's falling short. Who is going to actually fulfill God's will? And it's, it's so that when Jesus shows up, we recognize here is someone unique. So third point is that there is only ultimately one faithful hero. And really, it's Jesus, but it's, it's God. It's the Trinitarian God of Scripture. He is the hero of this book. As we move through the book of Genesis, we're confronted again and again with the humbling truth, this book isn't about us. It's for us. It's so that we can read it. We can learn about God. But ultimately, this is a book about God. What this does is this helps us to know Him that's, what's, that's, that's the incredible uh, task in front of us that we might know God and that he might know us in a favorable way. And so scripture is pointing again and again to who God is. And there is only ultimately one faithful hero. So where does that leave us? And there's a place that this truth could take us that isn't very helpful. Um, it's, uh, you know, some sort of uh, hyper predestinarian thinking that God is going to work his purposes no matter what. Therefore, I guess, what do I care? <laughs> I'll, I'll go home. What are we all doing here, honestly? If God's going to work his purposes and accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish, uh, why do we care that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel? God's going to, he's going to work his purpose, all right? So he's, he's going to do what he wants to do. So why wouldn't we just uh, lay back and just let him work his purposes? If we come to a high confidence in the power of God to work his purposes, we could convince ourselves of the rightness and the just marching in whatever direction we desire, because ultimately we know that God will prevail. So, I mean, he's going to do what he wants to do. What does it matter what I do? God is going to do what he wants to do. But this is where Isaac's violent trembling, we remember his violent trembling. Because there's, there is a problem with this. God will work his will. That is true. Like he will work his purposes. The day is coming where every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming. God will work his purposes. But our joy in it and in the, in the performance of his will, that is not guaranteed. Our joy in the performing of God's will, that is not guaranteed. Rather, because we know God will be faithful to work his purposes the way we ought to think for those who've been brought by faith, uh, brought to life by faith in him, we ought to strive to participate fully in this God who will work his purposes. And I want to join him. I want to be on board with him as he works his purposes through me, that my joy in his performance of his will might be exponentially increased. That the reason we want to, to live faithfully is not because God's purposes won't happen if we don't. And we want to live faithfully because God's purposes will happen. And if we don't live faithfully, we will have diminished at least joy in the performance of his good works. So the anchor of God's faithfulness, it produces faithfulness in his people. This is what we see brought about in God's people through his faithfulness to save us in Christ. If you look at Romans chapter 5, we won't spend much time here because we're quickly running out of time. But Romans 5, just this chapter about the, the great justification that we have. Uh, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's this 
beautiful gospel truth that though we have not lived righteously, though we all are messed up, though we have sinned and transgressed against God and deserve his justice and his judgment, right? He sent Christ who did not sin like we did, who took our punishment upon himself so that each one of us in this room this morning, confessing, repenting, turning from our sin and trusting in Christ might be reconciled to this God, might be justified, made righteous with this God and have peace with him. So all this is going on in, in Romans chapter five. And you look down here at the end, you know, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, speaking of Adam, so by the one man's obedience, speaking of Jesus, the many will be made righteous. So Paul is talking here about this, this great reality of God has fulfilled his purposes through the, the death of this one son. Jesus is, you know, born and lives his life and, and ministers and then he's crucified and, and, and a great, terrible turn of events. Right? Because this is the murder of the Son of God. Acts chapter 2 tells us that they, they, can, they contrive to murder the Son of God, yet it was by the definite foreknowledge and plan of God. That, in the, that God, in the, in the crucifixion of the Son of God, we see through horrible hard circumstances, God yet performing His good purpose. His purpose will be performed. It will prevail. And so then Paul goes on after reflecting upon this in Romans chapter 6, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin? Since God does this work of saving his people through Jesus, despite hard circumstances, ought we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God's perfect purpose is fulfilled. He has redeemed a people for himself. We ought to not then just march and do whatever we want to do, but we ought to in, in, uh, endeavor that because of his great faithfulness, God, help me be faithful that I might join you in your purposes in this world. God will work his purposes and praise him for that. Will we participate gladly in them? That is the question. Will we be the means through which God moves in the world? Will our lives glorify him and find our highest joy in him? And the church of Jesus Christ has always been an assembly of those who were convinced of these great things, the faithfulness of God and the consequential faithfulness of his people. So what? If, if families and people are broken, that means we are too. God is faithful. He will perform his, he will perform his purposes. He calls us to faithfulness and we fall short. Therefore, a category that must exist for our faithfulness is, a, is the category of repentance. Does regular repentance exist in your life? Would your spouse, your children, or close friends say that repentance is a regular activity in your life? Repentance towards God can be quite cheap at times. I repent to God all the time. Have you ever apologized or repented to somebody that you've wronged face to face? 
Parents, have you ever repented to your children when you've wronged them? Children, have you ever repented to your parents when you've wronged them? I'm sorry that I did such and such a thing. I don't want to do that anymore. Does repentance exist in your life? If you're seeking, if you know this God to be a faithful God and you want to live faithful to him, part of that faithfulness is admitting where I have fallen short and repenting. The good news is that there is forgiveness and reconciliation, not always between individuals here on earth, but, but uh, as Christians we're called to forgive them. But for all who repent and look to Christ, God forgives them and makes them new. Which lastly brings us to the call to live faithfully, grounded ultimately in God's faithfulness. Your children don't need you to convince them. They need you to be faithful to God and to trust in His faithfulness. Our community doesn't need us entertaining them or impressing them. It needs our faithfulness and trust in God that He will be faithful to work His purposes. And this truth simultaneously comforts us because God will work His purposes here. And it calls us don't we want to join him in working his good purposes, being faithful, repenting when we fall short and striving day after day that we might be faithful and in joining God in his faithful performance of his good purposes for this world. Let's pray. Father, would you bring conviction um, as we look at the sinfulness of this world and as we look Hopefully, at the sinfulness of our own hearts, God, I pray that, Father, it would be fruitful and not just bringing discouragement or despondency, but a realization that, God, that the call is to repent and to turn to Christ, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that, Father, you would bring about genuine repentance in our hearts in the times that we have not been faithful, and that, God, that would be a a source of provoking that as we know you are faithful to perform your will. God, you at the end of it all, your purposes for Mount Air, your purposes for this county, they will reach their appointed end. And we will stand before you, God, and not answer for whether those purposes succeeded or failed or accomplished whatever. You will do them. But God, have we joined you? Will we join you in your work in, in the edifying of your name, the magnifying of your name in this community. We won't stand before you and say, well, we perfectly uh, convinced our kids or friends or family members to trust in you. But God, have we been faithful to point to you? We've we been faithful to repent when we've messed up and yet faithful to, to live for you and to edify you and to glorify your name among them. God, strengthen us. May the, the strong anchor that you will perform your purposes call us to live all the more boldly to see your purposes fulfilled in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.